Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina, underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. And chapter five is all about how to form a business. And the good thing about this chapter is you've heard of some of these, these terms uh, before in types of businesses. <laughs> So some of this will ring, you know, be relatable to you. Um, so the learning objectives for this for this uh, business chapter is compare the advantages and disadvantages of sole proprietorships, describe the differences between general and limited partnerships, and compare the advantages and disadvantages of partnerships, compare the advantages and disadvantages of corporations, and summarize the difference between C-Corps, S-Corps, and limited liability companies, or LLCs. Define and give examples of three types of corporate mergers, Explain the role of leverage buyouts and taking a firm private. Outline the advantages and disadvantages of franchises and discuss the opportunities for diversity in franchising and the challenges of global franchising and explain the role of cooperatives or co-ops. I know uh, it seems like a lot, but it's really very simple. We're really just going to be looking at the different types of businesses, advantages of each and disadvantages. Every business type has things that it, that it is good at. It has, it has limitations, so pros and cons. So sole proprietor is the most popular form of business, and most businesses start as a sole proprietor. It's an individual that says, I want to be in business. I want to do some type of business venture, some type of entrepreneurial thing, and that individual starts a business. Sole proprietor is a business owned and usually managed by one person. And the great thing about sole proprietors, we're going to talk about advantages and disadvantages in a minute, but the great thing about it is you can start a sole proprietorship today. I want to be in business. Guess what? You're in business. And it's not quite that simple, but let's say you wanted to start a car washing business today or a craft store on Etsy or selling vintage items on eBay or baking cakes or whatever it is, you can just say, I want to be in business and boom, you're in business. And remember I told you about taxes and exit strategy. So for as far as taxes are concerned with that, for a sole proprietor, they, you're, anything that you do business transaction-wise is still uh, taxed at the individual level. So say you start a business this year, you do $20,000 in revenue, you have $15,000 expenses, you made $5,000, that would just be taxed at an individual level, and that's how it works. You don't have to set up any additional uh, federal ID, you don't have to get any special permissions. Depending on what it is, you might have to get a license. Uh, like if you go and doing anything in food service, like if you could do a food truck or something like that, you might have to have a special license for that. But generally speaking, it's a very easy business to get going. A partnership is a legal form of business with two or more owners, and a corporation is a legal entity with authority to act and have liability separate from its owners. So you can see right there there's a few differences, and we'll get into that. So <clears throat> this is an interesting diagram because it talks about um, the types of businesses and the, t the ones that do the revenue. Types of, how, how much revenue they do. So on the left, you see that sole proprietorships are basically seven out of 10 businesses or sole proprietorships. Uh, two out of 10 are corporations and less than 10% are partnerships. But then, even though 72% of the businesses are sole proprietorships, corporations make up 81% of the revenues. So 80% of the dollars transacted are done through corporations. And Sole proprietors, even though they're 72% of the businesses, they only make up 6% of the revenues. Uh, that's a really interesting statistic to me. 
and then partnerships uh, make up 13%. So although corporations make up only 20% of the total number of businesses, they earn 81% of the total receipts. Sole proprietorships are the most common form, but they earn only 6% of receipts. So why is that? Why is it that sole proprietors are the most prevalent type of business, but corporations draw in the most money? What do you think? Thoughts, ideas? Your volume. <clears throat> yeah, sure volume, that's one. I mean, you can be a sole proprietor grocery store, really, really difficult. So we rely on corporations to make that easier for us. Walmart, Foodline, Piggly Wiggly, Carly C's, IGA. And when you go shop at those stores, you're actually shopping, th shopping through multiple corporations. So if I go to Walmart and buy 50 items, um, those 50 items were distributed by different corporations. And so that is how that compound effect happens. You're buying products through a corporation, from corporations, and you're not spending your dollars with sole proprietors. What you see a lot of times with sole proprietors are, are things like service providers, some, some sell products and services too, like boutiques and things like that. But think about your barber, um, anybody that does like any type of yard work or car washes or baking or anything like that. You see a lot of sole proprietors doing those uh, tasks that an individual might can do. But um, as soon as you start to grow, you might, uh, might be in your best interest to reform the type of business that you have. So some advantages, ease of starting and ending a business. Being your own boss, the pride of ownership, leaving a legacy, retention of company profits and no special taxes, tax at the individual rate. Some disadvantages are unlimited liability. That's a big one. <clears throat> the responsibility of business owners for all debts of the business. So you say, I'm going to go to going to business. Things are going well. You're excited. You start borrowing money to fund your business and then the business goes south. You're on the hook for those that debt as an individual. It's not... It's not owned by the company, it's owned by you as an individual. Limited financial resources, it's whatever you can have to put into it and, and borrow from friends, family, and lenders. Management difficulties, overwhelming time commitments, few fringe benefits, limited growth, and limited lifespan. The fringe benefits is a big one. Um, this is something that kind of prevents people from going into business because there's a thing called health insurance. And um, you may have a great business idea uh, but if you work a, a job that provides health insurance for you and your family, the idea of you leaving that job to go explore your business means that you're probably going to have to pay some number between $1,500 plus a month for health insurance for you and your family. Um, not always the case, but it's extremely expensive to do it as an individual. Um, sometimes, like when we come around to open enrollment, when we look at benefits, I'll look at how much the institution pays for me and my family versus how much I pay. And it's thousands of dollars a year that we're both putting into the pot. And so um, that fringe benefit is a big one. So let's talk about some uh, other th aspects when it comes to small business or sole proprietors. <coughs> sole proprietors or small business owners, they have um, uh, this 60-hour-plus work week. And so they're trying to find that work-life balance when they're, they're, the thing about a business is when you open it, you ha it's basically like having another person in your life that has needs, it needs to uh, breathe, it needs to live, it needs to eat. And business is just like that, that individual because you have to feed it energy and time in order for it to work. And if you don't feed it energy and time and money, it dies. And so 
Um, the goal, most people want a balanced work life, but sole proprietors, I've, I've worked for sole proprietors. Um, I used to work for Sandpiper in Clinton. The guy that owns it, Keith Naylor, opened up a second restaurant, Oasis Oyster Bar, and then during the pandemic when sales went way down, he opened up a catering business. That guy seemed to work all the time. He was there from like uh, 11, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning until 10, 11 o'clock at night most days. And so, um, you know, and, and the reason why is because he knows if he steps away from it, he can't trust that anybody's going to run it the way that he does. Going back to this with the management difficulties, number three, hear me when I say this. You can never, ever trust somebody to run your business the way that you would run it. Hear me when I say that. You can never trust somebody to run your business the way you're running. I'm not trying to be paranoid, but the minute you step away, that individual kind of, I mean, there's this, this thing. When you step away, people automatically go into, okay, the boss is not around mode. I can kind of goof off a little bit or not do 100% of what I'm supposed to do. And then the more often you're away, the more temptation there is to do illegal things like take money or, or steal some product or whatever. And so you have to be very vigilant when it comes to who you leave in charge of your business because there is a temptation. And I've heard horror stories. I had a student tell me that owned a, um, a boutique. She let an individual that worked for her have a company credit card. It was thousands of dollars they were charging uh, for stuff that they bought for them on that, on that company credit card. I want to say it's something like $25,000. It was insane. Yeah. And so you have to be very vigilant when it, when it comes to this stuff because people will, if you give them an opportunity, they're tempted to do stuff like that. So, hey, sir, how you doing, bud? What's your last one? Gotcha. Uh, yeah, gotcha. All right. Um, so let's talk about partnerships. Partnerships, there's a couple of major types. General is a partnership in which all owners share in operating the business and in assuming liability for business debts. Limited is where a partner uh, with one or more general partners and one or more limited partners. So I can go into a partnership with two other people. And I say, I'm just going to be an investor. You guys need money. I'm going to give you money. You go run this business, and I'll benefit from it. My role is just to invest. I'm a limited partner. If this business goes bust, I'm just going to lose the money I invest in it. If you guys go out and commit a crime or do something nuts that's going to have a legal consequence, I have no exposure to that. I'm just, I'm just putting up money as an investor. I don't, I'm not interested in anything you know, other than making a return. But uh, general partners, they're saying we are going to be here to – both work on this uh, together. What kind of problems do you think can arise from that kind of arrangement? If I've got a partner trying to help me run this business, what kind of problems do you think might arise? Yeah, you're, you're facing the consequences of every each partner's actions. Okay, that's one. What else? Arguments over money. Arguments over money. So no matter who your partner is, I've been in this situation. I'm fortunate to have worked a lot of different um, types of businesses. I've worked with small business startups. I've worked in mid-sized companies. I've worked for large corporations. Um, and I've seen, I've, I'm, I, I haven't seen everything, but I've seen a large diversity of different things. And if you've got a small partnership, I was, I was involved with a company that was three partners. No matter what is agreed upon in that early stage, Eventually, somebody's going to say, you know what? I'm doing more than they're doing. I should get more money. You know? Or, you know what? This person's never here, and I am. 
so I should get more money. In fact, one of my students reached out to me within the past few months and said, uh, I might told you a story, that they were um, thinking about buying a share of a, uh, basically like a Polaris dealership, $1.6 million. The situation there was one of the partners wanted to get out. He was ready to retire. And so he was offering up his third of the company. But before that had happened, there was some internal strife between the partners. Um, there was this idea of, hey, um, some people are here more than others. They'd actually worked that amount out amongst themselves that they were going to pay themselves a stipend out of the company for being present. So every day you come to work, in addition to whatever, we're going to give you a payroll for being here in addition to your uh, payout or dividend from being a partner. And that was trying to incentivize the partners being present more and helping out more, not just sitting at home and collecting a paycheck. So um, so a couple of different, a uh, little more explanation. An owner or partner who has unlimited liability and active in managing the firm, that's a general and a limited. An owner who invests money in the business but does not have any management responsibility or liability for losses beyond the investment. I'm a limited partner, once again, put up some money, not, not interested in being exposed to any potential illegality or um, any type of uh, consequence of this business. So other forms of partnership are a, a master limited partnership, a MLP, or a LLP, limited liability partner. In an MLP at the top, a partner that looks much like a corporation in that it acts like a corporation is traded on a stock exchange, but it's taxed like a partnership and thus avoids the corporate income tax. Part of this um, reason we have all these various different partnerships is that we have different tax brackets or tax strategies that companies use. So they, they, they decide to form a business concept or a business uh, type based on what they want their taxes to look like. Like if I was going to start a business today, I would seriously consider me personally the, a corporation. And, and I'll tell you why in a few minutes when we get to corporation. Uh, just because of the tax structure. <clears throat> limited liability partnership is a partnership that limits partners' risk of losing their personal assets only to their own acts and omissions and to the acts and omissions of people under their supervision. And so some advantages. So remember I told you each one of these has pros and cons, advantages and disadvantages. For this one, there's more financial resources. If I have 5,000 and this person has 5,000, together we have 10. That's good. Shared management and pooled complementary skills and knowledge. If I'm an expert at this and they are an expert at that, that helps. Longer survival. If one of us drops dead, we still have the other one to keep the business going. And no additional or special tax consideration here. The disadvantages <coughs> is, once again, we have that idea of unlimited liability. Uh, division of profits. If I do 70% of the labor, I still have to give up 50% of the profit. And that, that could be a problem. Disagreements among the, pro the partners. Once again, it doesn't matter how good of a partner you have, there's going to be disagreements, generally speaking. I mean, there are some exceptions where there's, where there's not, but for the most part, eventually, and money does weird things to people. It, it changes, it really does change the paradigm. Like, uh, I've had examples in my past where it was a small amount of money that was involved, but it bent people the wrong way. Have you, have you ever had an experience like that, where you had a disagreement over what you perceived to be a small amount of money, and it, it, was a, it, was, it became a problem. Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? What's up? What you got? Merlin. Yeah, one time, uh, my brother, I told him, I guess you have to $5 for a I'll pay you back and send those to me. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my personal thing is, I don't like to owe people money, and I don't like people owe me money, so if people need money, I just give it to them. 
Um, don't don't worry about paying me back because it creates an uncomfortable dynamic. Hey, you owe me money. What's up? You know. So, and if you can't afford to give how much they want, just tell them straight up. I can't. I don't. I can't help you. I can do this for you. I can give you this amount, but I can't afford to to loan you this much. You know. So, um, so we have division problems, disagreements, and difficulty of termination. What if I want to quit, but my partner wants to keep it going on, but they can't afford to buy me out? That's a problem, you know. So you can see how partnerships, there's a reason, back up real quick, why partnerships are such a small percentage of companies, only 8%, because of some of these limiting factors we just talked about. And so this brings us to corporations, which is a conventional C-Corp, a large chartered legal entity with authority to cast to act and have limited separate, uh, liability separate from its owners, its stockholders. Enables many people to share in ownership. Um, there was a phrase that went around within the past 10 years called corporations are people. You remember this? Yeah, so corporations are a, basically they have personhood status. They're the separate entity. They're their own thing. So advantages of corporations are limited liability, ability to raise money or more money for investment, the size, perpetual life, ease of ownership change, um, ease of attracting talent to employees, uh, separation of ownership for management. And corporations, you don't have to have a ton of people involved to be a corporation. An individual can start a corporation, can issue stock. You can be the 100% stockholder. And um, let's say you have you know three or four kids. When you die, you, you can say that each kid gets X amount of that in stock. Um, there are some compliance things you have to do. You do have to have a board of trustees or board of directors. You do have to document meetings that occur and things like that, but not, not that difficult in my mind. There is a little bit more expense to setting up a corporation too versus just saying I'm a sole proprietor. So you really, if you are going to do something like that, you need to have a, a profit motive. There needs to be some revenue occurring to justify the, just owning that corporation. So um, <clears throat> this is just an illustration that shows corporate structures, generally speaking. Owners have an influence on how a business is managed by electing a board of directors. The board hires the top officers and fires them if necessary. It also sets the pay for other officers, or those officers. The officers then select managers and employees with the help of the human resource department. So you can see um, top, down, top down, we have owners and stockholders. They elect the board of directors. The board of directors actually picks the CEO or president of a company. The CEO will then select vice presidents uh, and a top level executive management staff who will fill in You know, it's uh, the leadership roles down the chain until we get to the frontline employees. These are the ones that are actually building the product or delivering the service to the frontline customers. And that is generally speaking how a lot of organizations are organized, uh, including this college. At the college, we have a president who reports to a board of trustees and the board of trustees report to the community. And so uh, who are the shareholders of this institution? And then from the president down, we have VPs, AVPs, department chairs and staff and faculty. So um, it's just a logistical way to, to organize an, an organization. And so some disadvantages corporation, the initial cost. Yeah, um, it's gonna cost you, depending on the size of your corporation, if you're a very small, like an individual corporation, it's gonna cost you several hundred dollars to get the thing set up. There is extensive paperwork, but I think extensive is probably not the right words. Um, depending on the size of your organization, you can run it with a couple of Excel documents, but you still have to have that for um, reporting and for compliance. The double taxation, you may be asking yourself, what is that? 
So this is where it's interesting to me. Um, if you have a corporation, you don't get taxed at the individual level at all until you take a dividend or a payment. Um, and so let's say the corporation makes $50,000 a year. The, the corporation will pay taxes on that. But then uh, over time, as that, as that uh, war chest grows, so to speak, you could start to take a dividend or a payment and then you wouldn't pay taxes on it until you actually took that payment. Um, one way corporation uh, shelters or reduces its tax lows, let's say you did make $50,000 in profit. One way to shield that from taxation, we're not, once again, we're not talking about, we're talking about tax avoidance, not tax uh, uh, evasion, thank you. Um, they would, they could, you could purchase something that would be a corporate asset and that is a business related expense and that corporate asset uh, can bring you to a break-even point where you don't really have taxable revenue or even put you potentially into a loss. And that's the game that corporations are constantly playing. The, some of the biggest corporations on earth pay little to no taxes because they play that game of we're investing in our infrastructure. We may have made $100 million in, in profit, but it's costing us, you know, $120 million to run this business and to build out our infrastructure. So we owe no taxes. In fact, we're showing a loss. Uh, and they do stuff like that, but they also use other loopholes. Uh, there's all kinds of subsidies out there for if, you're, if your corporation is buying green energy stuff or setting up bee farms, that's an actual thing uh, that you, you can use that for tax credits. And so they have fleets of lawyers that are tax experts that are looking for ways to avoid taxes, not evade taxes. Tax avoidance, 100% legal. Tax evasion, we'll get land you in jail. And so, but I know the tax thing is boring to talk about, but it's but it's interesting and um, it's important to understand when you start when you're starting to get into a business setup. How do you want? You have to ask yourself, how do you want to be taxed? And uh, let's, let's let's look at it at one other angle that's probably closer to home. Let's say you as an individual, you graduate, you start out a job making fifty thousand dollars a year. That's great, excellent. Well, these say, well, I want to start a side hustle. I want to make some more money. First year, you do ten grand in profit. That's awesome. You made ten grand. Next year, you do fifty grand in profit, and now it's bumped you up to another tax bracket, and it's jacked up your whole tax situation that you're used to because now you're making all this income, and so you you learn the lesson from that year, and then you go into year three and you made eighty thousand dollars with your side hustle plus $60,000 now at your primary. So together you're making 140 k and this just happened. So now you're starting to wise up and say, do I want to pay taxes on all this revenue or do I want to buy some stuff that is business-related expenses? That's why you see um, these companies or these, these business people buying big trucks or other assets that they can call them business-related expenses so as a way to avoid using all those dollars as taxable items uh, versus uh, uh, trying to evade taxes. You know, you, like I said, you can avoid it, but not evade it. Um, questions on any of that? So you want to get creative and, and ask questions. You want to talk to an accountant. You want to talk to a tax attorney to make sure that the things that you're, you're doing are going to work. And if you've got a business that's making fifty dollars to $100,000 in profit, it's worth your time to pay a tax accountant $1,000 or $2,000 just to get feedback on what you could do to reduce your tax exposure. Because if you're gonna pay a big chunk of taxes and they can tell you a way to save that, it's worth that investment. Size is another concern. It could grow very quickly and get, get, get beyond your capacity to manage.
Uh, difficulty of termination, yeah, there's a lot of paperwork you have to go through to shut down a corporation versus if you're a sole proprietor, you could one day say, I'm in business, and the next day say, I'm not in business anymore. Possible conflict with stockholders and boards of directors, yeah. They may agree or disagree with what you think. And there's been uh, very marquee cases in history where the person who started the company ended up getting kicked out from the board of trustees. Steve Jobs is a classic example. He started Apple Computer. Eventually, he had a falling out with the board of directors. They fired him. This is the guy that started the company. He got fired from it. And there's other examples of that. There was another one recently. Um, uh, has anybody ever heard of the company WeWork? WeWork is a, it was a, basically a shared workspace concept where you joined a club and it's kind of like joining the gym, but instead of joining the gym, you're joining a office space. And so you can go in there and have an office. You can have a copy machine, internet access, coffee, that kind of stuff. And you paid a monthly membership fee, but WeWork grew to be a, something like a 60 or $70 billion company. And the guy who started it, uh, they fired him. They said, we don't like what you're doing. We think you're, he was basically trying to over leverage the company. His strategy was to borrow, 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 borrow money to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. And he was trying to buy market share and just rapidly grow. And they thought, look, this is not sustainable. You can't just keep borrowing hundreds of billions of dollars. It's just not, it's going to implode. And so um, they eventually fired him and he, uh, I'm going to tell you what, ha what happened, but you would lo do some research on WeWork. It's really interesting. And that's a recent thing that happened in the past 10 years. Um, and then we talked about possible conflicts with stockholders already. So individuals can incorporate anyone, truckers, doctors, plumbers, athletes, and small business owners can incorporate. Stock is normally not issued to outsiders when individuals incorporate, so they do not share the advantages and disadvantages of large corporations. Major advantages are limited liability and possible tax benefits. For me, if I did ever start a corporation, which I think I should just for fun, I didn't eat a Big Mac yet. He told me to eat the Big Mac. I still haven't done that yet. So, but uh, uh, but uh, anyway, with uh, if I should, if I ever thought about incorporating, I think it'd be fun just to do as an experiment. But for me, the tax advantage would be if there were any profits, I could just retain them in the corporation and not take them out. I'd just let them grow over time. So an S-Corp is another type of corporation. It's a unique government creation that looks at a corporation, but uh, it's, it looks like a corporation is taxed, like sole proprietorships and partnerships, uh, have shareholders, directors, and employees, plus the benefit of limited liability. Profits are taxed only as personal income of the shareholders. So just another basically tax structure. Um, so to have an S-Corp, you have no more than 100 shareholders. The shareholders are individuals or states, and who as individuals or citizens are permanent residents of the United States, have only one class of stock, drive no more than 25% of income from passive sources. So uh, if an S corporation loses its status, it may not be able to operate again under it for at least five years. And so now we get to LLCs. You've probably heard about LLCs before, limited liability companies. You guys have heard about LLCs before, correct? This is probably the second most popular form of business beyond the sole proprietorship because you can be a sole proprietor and then realize maybe I shouldn't have all the liability on me personally because I could lose my house. It could, a true story, like if you have a business and all of a sudden you, you wake up one day and your business has got $100,000 in debt and that business is teetering, if you haven't incorporated as an LLC, they could personally come after your personal assets. And that's not a good feeling when you either have to refinance or remortgage your house or take out a second mortgage or have a lien put on your property or wage garnishments, I mean, it could get really ugly. So 
uh, or get sued and have to go to court and have a judgment and have to uh, figure out a way to pay that off. I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of ugly possibilities. So in order to avoid those types of problems or partially try to avoid those problems, having an LLC is probably a good idea for most people that are getting into serious business areas. If you've got a hobby business and you're baking cakes or you're doing some pressure washing for houses on the weekend or washing cars or something where you're not generating a ton of cash or revenue, maybe sole proprietorship is the right fit. But if you're starting to really scale up, well, this is your full-time commitment, five, six days a week you're doing it, and there's more, you've got employees and there's potential risk for uh, accidents or errors, you probably want to have an LLC structure. That way uh, it does give you some limits to the liability. Uh, LLCs are similar to S-Corps, but without the special eligibility requirement, more than half of new business registrations in some states are LLCs. So it is very popular. Some advantages, they do have that limited liability. Limited liability does not mean that you are completely barred from liability. I mean, in some cases, they can, the, the creditors can still come after you personally, but uh, especially if you've done things that are egregious. And so let's say you have a business, something bad happens, not a fault of your own. Uh, and depending on circumstances, the, the actionable item might not be against you personally. But if you deliberately do something that causes a harm to somebody or something, uh, it may be the case that, yes, we find that, you know, even though it's an LLC and you have limited liability, we still feel like a court can say they can come after you. So choice of taxation. Um, LLCs are what are called flow-through organizations. So taxes flow through at the uh, individual level. Flexible ownership rules, flexible distribution of profits and losses, Operating flexibility, I can be open Monday through Friday or Tuesday through Thursday or however I want to do it. So, and one of them also not mentioned is be your own boss. It disadvantages, no stock ownership is non-transferable. If you die, the company dies with you unless you've already made arrangements to transfer that over um, ahead of time. It's not as easy as stock transfers. Fewer incentives, uh, the taxes, um, once again, that flow through you at the individual level and more paperwork than a sole proprietorship for LLCs you do have to file paperwork with the state for that you do have to get a separate tax ID uh, and file taxes separately with that so there are some those are some disadvantages I wouldn't necessarily call them big disadvantages though and so let's talk about some mergers and acquisitions or M&A and if you watch the drug short documentary with Valiant Pharmaceuticals this is what that company was doing, M&A, mergers and acquisitions. A merger is the result of two firms forming into one company. There was a big one recently. Capital One this past week bought Discovery. And so now they're going to be the biggest credit card company in probably the world. I think they mentioned the United States, but it's probably the world. Um, acquisitions are when one company purchases the property and obligations of another company. And so um, that's what M&A is generally. And... Uh, it's very advantageous to large companies to be thinking in these terms because uh, if one thing that I'll use Facebook as an example before it became meta, Facebook saw competitors coming onto the scene that could threaten its core uh, business. And so Facebook bought um, Instagram. That's one of the meta companies. What other meta companies are there? I know they've got Oculus, but it seems like there's another one that I'm missing. But that is an example of acquisition. Um, I saw that Walmart this week is buying Vizio, the TV manufacturer, something like $2.3 billion. Um, and so 
Next year, I'm sure when you buy Vizio, there'll be a lot of Walmart-related propaganda into it. Does anybody do the Walmart Plus membership? I don't do it either. They keep... I've been propositioned like a hundred times. It's got to be, you know. Would you like to join Walmart Plus? I don't really see the big advantage for me yet. I don't. I don't know. I mean, it's like twelve dollars a month, but I don't really see what the big deal is. So, all right. So there's a couple different types of mergers: vertical, horizontal, and conglomerates. So vertical is the joining of two companies in different stages of related businesses. So if you've got a soda manufacturer and you've got another company that's just getting started in the soda realm. That's a vertical merger. Horizontal is the joining of two firms in the same industry, merging between competitors to prove, uh, must prove to the Federal Trade Commission that the new combined company does not limit competition unfairly. That's something that kind of bothers me a little bit about our system, is that over time you see this consolidation of businesses, big businesses joining together, and that consolidation ultimately is bad for consumers because basically they can get together and say, we're just going to raise prices over time on these consumers and squeeze them. Um, conglomerate is the joining of firms in completely unrelated industries, and there's a graphic that illustrates this. So the horizontal uh, soft drink company buys a mineral water company. That's a, a similar industry. Down here, though, we've got the soft drink company buys a artificial sweetener company. That's a vertical merger. And then the... Conglomerate is the software company buys a chip company, uh, companies in unrelated industries. I don't. Know, I think that's kind of a stretch because it's still food, but I can see I can see both sides of that. All right. So a little bit more on this. Um, a firm uh, take a firm private management or a group of stockholders take control by obtaining all the firm's stock. This happened last year. <laughs> it's in the last year or last two years when Elon Musk and a group of investors bought out Twitter. Did anybody use Twitter back in the day before it became X? Does kind of maybe does anybody you you, you did Madeline? I, I don't think anyone calls it X. I don't call it X. Nobody. I call it Twitter too. I think it was incredibly stupid to change the name. It bugs me because I liked Twitter. There's things I, I I don't know. I don't use Twitter that much. I don't use social media that much. Um, I glance at it a couple times a day just to see if there's any updates. But I don't spend hours on social media. I just I got home last night at six thirty. By the time I was done cooking and cleaning up, it was 9.30, so that was my day. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't understand Elon's strategy except just to blow stuff up. You know what I'm saying? Like, like what's the correlation between X and the app? I think like, what it was, honestly, is that he owns X.com. I think that's the, that? I think that's the only reason he would change the name to X because he owns X.com. So I think he just wanted something to go with that, you know. But it's really just a vanity project at this point. And I don't know. I don't want to pay $8 or $11 a month for a check mark. I mean, I think that's terrible, too. So. The fact that you can even buy it is crazy. Yeah, so. I mean, I, think about it. You changed the name to X, right? Right. But people are still talking about it. Right. So he did get the information out there either way. Even if it's good or bad, he still has people talking about it. The fact that we're talking about it in business class means that there is something significant about it. Now, the fact that we're talking about it, does that, and I think that it was a mistake, and so does Madeline, to change the name from Twitter to X, but the fact that it's still a part of the conversation, the American zeitgeist, you know, I guess the global zeitgeist, I guess there's something to that, but strategically, I think it was a big mistake. And if you ask any mainstream investor, or analysts, they'll tell you that it was a mistake because I think he paid something like $44 billion 
is what they paid for it, and now it's worth about half that. Um, a lot of advertisers left. Um, it became far more toxic after the fact. And so, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I, I don't know. Any other comments on Twitter? I don't have a whole lot, but I still call it Twitter. So, no more. What, what social media do you guys preferably use? Is there is Instagram? I never, I, I never use Instagram and I never use Snapchat. I think my kids use Snapchat a lot. So, yeah. that's all you use? Yeah. I used to have a Tumblr account. I still do, but I never use it. So. I still use Tumblr yeah. every day. I don't understand Snapchat. I've never understood that. Like, isn't that the app where you take a picture and then if you see the picture, you can never see it again? Something like that, yeah. I, I don't understand it either. Anybody ever have a MySpace? Tom is your friend. I read an article about Tom in the past week. Tom is the guy that started MySpace. And I forgot how much money he got. It was hundreds of millions of dollars. And today, he's not worth as much. But he's still worth like $50 million, $56 million is what they said. And he's just basically a full-time hobbyist. He travels. He surfs. That's, that's what he does. Good for him. So, All right, leverage buyouts. An attempt by employees, management, or a group of private investors to buy out the stockholders in a company. Range in size from $50 million to $34 billion and involve everything from small family businesses to giant corporations. Business acquisitions are not limited to U.S. buyers. Other, other countries can participate. So this is one of my favorite ones to talk about, franchises. Everybody should, and I told you in the beginning of this class that you guys would recognize some of these terms. Everybody should know what a franchise is, right? What is a franchise? McDonald's is a franchise. But what is – what's that? It's a business. What, what in essence is a franchise, though? Something we have multiples of, yeah. In essence, it's a business in a box. You're buying a product when you invest in a franchise. What you're buying is a proven system of business. If you go and purchase a franchise, you're saying, I've seen what this kind of business can do, and a big marquee company like McDonald's has a ton of data to share with you. They can pretty much predict, if I build a McDonald's right here, I know exactly what the sales will be in five or 10 years. They can tell you exactly how much money you're going to make. They can tell you um, what your revenue is going to be. Uh, they can tell you what are your challenges are going to be. They can tell you everything because they've been in business for decades and they've seen it all. Um, how much does it cost to, to open a McDonald's, do you guys think? It's like a million dollars. It's over a million, yeah. It's, it's more than neighborhood of two, two million. Yeah, it's, it's, it depends, but it's probably more expensive than that. Very expensive. So franchise agreement is an arrangement whereby someone with a good idea for a business, a franchisor, sells the rights to use the business name and sell a product or service, a franchise, to other others, franchisees in a given territory. Can be formed as a sole proprietorship, a partnership, or a corporation. More than 733 franchise businesses operate in the United States, creating 7.6 million jobs. Anybody need fair, Firehouse Subs? What's your favorite sub place? Subway. Subway? Subway? Really? You, you were just playing. I was like, you got to be real. Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's is good. Yeah. I used to have a favorite sub place named Subs Plus, and it was only owned by one family. Subs Plus? But because of COVID and all the restrictions that it did, it kind of just killed the business that's been there for like 70 years. Has anybody ever worked at a sub place? I did. I worked at a place called Zero Subs. 
It was a small family franchise out of Virginia, um, similar to Jersey Mike's, similar to that. But Jersey Mike's is better. And Jersey Mike's is probably my favorite, too. I get the Italian. What do you get, J.D.? Turkey, that's my daughter's favorite, yeah. What do you like? Meat lovers. Meat lovers. Does anybody ever get the meatball sub anywhere? I've been tempted. I used to actually really do it. It looks good, but it looks gross at the same time, yeah, you know? It's, but it's also amazing. I'm sure it's amazing, but I feel like gross just thinking about it, and I was like, ugh. You know, it's a big, big ball of fat and meat, and just, ugh, I don't know. So. You need to get the, uh, the buffalo chicken. There's one, there's one at Firehouse right now. It's like a meatball pizza. It's got like a meatball with marinara and cheese on it. It looks awesome, you know. So anyway, at Firehouse, at Firehouse yeah. I told you we talk about food in my class, you know. So you guys get hungry every time in here. So I met a guy several years ago that was married to my wife's cousin, and this guy was super excited because he was franchising a Firehouse Subs. And he was just super, super excited. Came to me and was just telling me all about the franchise. He was just pumped. We were talking about the sandwiches, how good they were. How much do you think it cost him to open his first location? $450,000. So he didn't have 450, he had 50 between him and his family. They took that 50 and bought the, borrowed the money to do the 450. And that got him the location, all the, all the equipment materials he needed, um, some cash in the bank to run it for a few months, and he was off to the races. Within a few years, he added two more locations, so he had three locations going. He, I went to see him. Uh, they live just outside of D.C. Went to see him around five or six years ago, and uh, very different person at that point because he had three locations going. He wasn't excited anymore. Dude was tired. He was beat down. He was running between all three locations every day. And they were several miles apart. So he's having to run one store to the next. This person called out over here. This person quit over there. I mean, it's just, it was very stressful for the guy. Ultimately, he lost all three locations. His whole, I mean, it just, he just, he just had a, I think he had just a mental breakdown. He, he just couldn't sustain it and he, he gave it up. I, I'm not telling you this to, to scare you away from franchising. I think franchising is great. I think you have to be realistic about what you can accomplish yourself. Um, it's great to own 50 locations of something. That's great. Can you manage that or can you hire people to help you manage that? That was this guy's mistake. He was trying to do more than he could do and it burned him slam out. And these locations are open seven days a week, you know, so you're on call every single day unless you've got somebody else that you can trust to help you manage that stuff. So. Um, you'll hear a lot of cautionary tales in this class, and it's not to, I think everybody should be an entrepreneur, but be uh, cautious about what you get yourself into, because if you burn yourself out, either you will quit or it will make you quit. So, like, just, just be, be cautious about what you get into, and, and, and it's nothing wrong with growing slowly. Trying to grow too fast um, ended up being disastrous for this one example. Sure. If, if, even if you 
Yeah, Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Chick-fil-A is a selective process, I'm sure. They're not going to let just anybody throw up a franchise, you know. Um, there's a reason why they're number one in customer service in, in the in the food industry uh, because they demand it, you know. And if, you, if you're not playing that game, I've never been to a Chick-fil-A where I had a bad customer service experience ever. It's always like, yes, yes, sir, my pleasure, here we go. I mean, it's just that's, that's what they demand. And it is possible for businesses to do that. And there's hundreds, if not thousands, of locations of Chick-fil-A, you know what I mean? So they're doing something right. Um, advantages of franchising, management and marketing assistance. Yeah, if you own this franchise, they're going to they're gonna, um, advertise in your region for you as a part of the franchise agreement. Personal ownership, nationally recognized names, financial advice and assistance, low failure rates. Going back to that McDonald's example or even Firehouse now, they can tell you the exact percentage of failure rates. So like I say, if you buy this franchise, you're probably like 90% plus going to succeed. I've never, ever seen a Chick-fil-A fail. I don't think I've ever seen a McDonald's fail, but they have. But it's a rare thing. What's up? McDonald's cafes are actually failing. Really? But they are actually making a whole new location. There's a new bit, There's a new concept McDonald's is putting out called Cosmics. Cosmics. It's a whole entire, like, they're making their own custom. It's a a la carte. It's a quick quick in and out type thing. It's because they're bringing back their character that they had a long time ago in their old commercials. So they're kind of like, because this new generation is like, they love the old stuff. Yeah. So bring back the old things. I like the idea. If it was me, I would have told, uh, I'm going to tell McDonald's and Chick-fil-A to do something different. You know how Walmart has a super center and now they have these <laughs> neighborhood markets? McDonald's should just do McDonald's retro and only sell like five items. Burgers, cheeseburgers, fries, that's it. I mean, keep it real simple. Uh, but. Yeah, just burgers, fries, nuggets, and apple pies or something. And then that's all we sell. That's all we make. And you can come in, and you can be in and out in 60 seconds. Because back in the day when you go to McDonald's, they had a burger rack behind the counter. Do you remember this? And they would have, like, 20 hamburgers. And if you were a hamburger, they just turn around and pass you one. You know, that was, that was the concept. I dig that. I would love to go back to that. Same thing for Chick-fil-A. I think they should make Chick-fil-A, like, quick-throughs or whatever you want to call them. And all they sell is the chicken sandwiches and fries. That's it. Chicken sandwiches, fries, and soda. Maybe nuggets, but that's it. Keep it simple. So um, disadvantages, large startup costs. Yeah, we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Shared profits, um, management regulations. This is what you have to do. Um, The coattail effect, restrictions on selling, fraudulent franchisers. But let me talk briefly about um, this shared profit. As a franchiser, you've got to pay a royalty. Generally, that could be 8 to 10%, sometimes more, sometimes less. So that means that in some franchisers, they take the money directly out of your account every day. So let's say that you had a big day, you did $10,000 in sales. They're going to take 8% right off the top. So $800, boom, get trimmed right out of your account. And that's the price you pay to operate that, that franchise. So talk about diversity in franchising. Women own about half of U.S. Uh, companies, yet ownership of franchises is about 35%. More women are becoming franchisers, such as those who started uh, Auntie Anne's, which is awesome, the pretzel place, uh, Decorating Den, and Build-A-Bear workshops. My, minorities own less than 19% of businesses, yet over 30% of franchises are minority-owned. Diversity, friend, and federal minority business development agency build awareness of franchising opportunities within minority communities and provide training and support. 
And so there are some home-based franchises, um, home-based businesses that you can buy in a box. There's advantages and disadvantages of that too. The advantages relief from commuting stress, extra family time, low overhead. The disadvantages are isolation, long hours, and there's other disadvantages. Does anybody remember LuLaRoe? Talk to me. What do you know about it? My stepmom used to do LuLaRoe. Yeah. How did it go? It was like, it was pretty religious. It was like a cult kind of, right? I mean, yeah. Did she have a good outcome? No. Yeah. Nobody did. So the startup cost for LuLaRoe was eight to $10,000. LuLaRoe is a clothing company, and um, they, for eight to 10 grand, they would ship you cases of clothes. You set up a home boutique, like, yeah, you set up a home boutique and you invite friends, family, and, and guests to come to your house to shop the boutique. Here's the problem, and I've worked soft lines before when I worked at Walmart. The women who went to shop these uh, parties would only buy 20 or 30% of the inventory that, that, that was nice, and the rest just gets left behind. So the proprietor would have to buy more inventory to get new stuff in, and then their clients would only buy 20 or 30% of that. So now they got 70% from last month left, and then 70% from this month left. You start to see a problem, right? Inventory's growing. So they're now having to mark down stuff to try to burn through it. Um, I had a friend that had thousands of dollars worth of clothes, and she ended up having to mark everything to like a dollar just to get rid of it, you know. And then at the end, I think she was just giving it away. Take it, take it, I you know. I think I saw LuLaRoe at like a yard sale recently. Yeah. And it was like 10 pairs of the same leggings. And I was like, right. You know, I mean, I don't want to be a hater. My wife was into it. I, I was not, I'm not, a, I, I think they're comfortable. I think they're really more, should be house loungewear versus fashion, yeah. you know, but that's me. I mean, Why so. It's like the new Lula Row is like 60 yeah. or whatever, and then it just repeats itself, and no one learns their So I have, I have a love-hate relationship with MLMs. I think uh, MLMs, by the way, are multi-level marketing. They are a legal business venture. They're a business form. However, they are um, often abused. <clears throat> and so what ends up happening with a lot of MLMs is it becomes a Ponzi scheme where a person has to recruit two or three people, and then those people have to recruit two or three people. And it's all about recruitment versus products and services. <clears throat> and so MLMs got wise to that and said, well, we're going to start selling products and services too, and we got, got stuff going. But Amway is an old example of MLMs. I don't know if you've heard about Amway. That's a really dated example. Um, but there's been a lot of modern examples too. Um, gosh, trying to um, Avon is not necessarily an MLM, but it kind of is. That's an old one that's been around for a long time, home-based business. Um, but I think there's there's like some good ones out there, but I think a lot of times you get bad raps. The problem specifically with LuLaRoe is they grew faster than they could manage, and they were hiring their family to run it. So it was all within the family, and these people did not have business management and marketing skills, and so they were there's they ran into quality control issues. There's a great documentary on Prime Video called Lula Rich. You ever get a chance to watch it? It's three or four parts. It's highly entertaining. Um, they ran out of warehouse space, so their solution was to store clothes outside. And so what ended up happening was it got damp, mildewy, and they're sort of shipping these cases of clothes to women, and they've got mold and stuff on them. It's just, it was really terrible. And so, yeah, Lula Rich, I highly recommend you watching it. 
Um, so e-commerce and franchising, most brick and mortar franchises have expanded online. Many franchisers prohibit franchisee sponsored sites because conflicts can erupt. Sometimes reverse royalties are sent to franchisees who believe their sales were hurt by the franchisor's site. And so using technology and franchising, franchisers use technology, including social media, to extend, extend their brand, meet the needs of both customers and their franchisees. Yeah, um, social media is like a necessary evil when it comes to marketing. Um, you got to do it. I think if I was starting a new company today, you'd want to have a consistent presence on your social media sites, but make sure that you're posting to them every day, at least every business day, because what ends up happening with a lot of companies is they create social media and then they never post to it, or they start out posting pretty heavy and then it falls off and they don't consistently do it. You've got to consistently put something out there every day, even if it's it's not fun. One thing I saw uh, that was that was good is a local jewelry store. You know those um, Facebook Lives where they have sales? They had a, There was a local jewelry store that started doing Facebook Lives where they would pull everything out of a case and showcase what these items were, and people watched that. And I thought, that's a great concept. If I was running a, a restaurant, I would do Facebook Lives and say, here's what we're cooking today, here's our special, and I would interview customers. I'd say, hey, you want to do a quick Facebook Live with me? I'm that guy, you know. So, But, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that people like to watch. They like to get engaged with that kind of stuff. Um, I had somebody who used to work here that left to become an artist. She was, she's an artist, but she left to go back to doing uh, teaching painting lessons and stuff. I said, have you thought about live streaming your painting? Because you, you could probably end up making more money off the views of the live stream, people watching you paint, versus actually selling the paintings. Because if you get an audience of people watching you paint, there's all kinds of people out there that like to watch that kind of stuff. So, All right. A couple more slides and we're done for today. Franchising in global markets. Even smaller franchises are going global. Canada is the most popular target for U.S.-based franchises, but so is China, South Africa, the Philippines, and the Middle East. They offer the same advantages as in the U.S., convenience and a predictable level of service and quality. Adapting products and brand names to different countries creates challenges. Foreign franchisees, uh, franchises also come to the U.S. <coughs> so here's some high flyers, some 10 high-performing franchises. <coughs> McDonald's, Dunkin' Donuts. Who prefers Dunkin' over Krispy Kreme? You do? You're the one, the only one. It's okay. We won't hold it against you. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Krispy Kreme guy myself, so. Hot Sonic, what's up? Hot and ready. Hot and ready. That's it. Um, Sonic, Taco Bell, UPS Store, Culver's, Planet Fitness, Great Clips, Jersey Mike's, and 7-Eleven. Uh, last thing to talk about today is co-ops. It's a business owned and controlled by the people who use it. Producers, consumers, and workers with similar needs who pool their resources for a mutual gain. Serve 1 billion members worldwide. Members democratically control the business by electing a board of directors that hire professional management. Other cooperatives are formed to give members more economic power as a group than they have as individuals, such as a farm cooperative. I've only seen a few examples of this. I've never seen one in real life, but there was one that formed. There were a group of artisans that were bakers, and they got together to form a co-op. Um, basically, they all worked together as a collective to produce their product, but I, I rarely seen this used uh, in the wild. And so that's it for chapter five. Um, if you have not done chapter four's homework, the assignment, please make sure you do it. It's due now. Um, chapter five will be due today through Friday without penalty. You have an extra week with penalty. If you have not turned in your essay, as we talked about at the beginning of class, 
Please get that to me this week so I can get that input into the gradebook. All right, guys. Be safe. I'll see you next week, all right?